from the Hydrogen Media offices in London. Welcome to the second episode of Everything About Hydrogen's Deep Dive. Deep Dive is a podcast series from us here at the Everything About Hydrogen team, which is produced in collaboration with some of the leading innovators and companies in the hydrogen economy today. I'm Chris Jackson, the CEO of Proteum, and for this episode, I'm on hosting duties. We're really delighted to have on this second episode of Deep Dive support from the team of Biotech to talk about hydrogen acquisitions and what that means for the future of the sector. For those of you who aren't familiar, Biotech is a full-service hydrogen supplier, offering localized production, transport, storage, and fueling solutions within the hydrogen space. Recently, Biotech have made waves through the acquisition of IGX Group. And for this second episode of Deep Dive, we wanted to talk through that acquisition, what it means for the future of the company, and what the implications of this deal may be for other businesses operating in the sector. I am delighted to have Mo Vargas, CEO of Biotech, on the call with me, and Michael Kunz, President of Biotech, on the show today as well. There's a lot to get through today, and a lot of interesting ground to cover, so away we go. Mo and Michael, delighted to have you on uh, this episode of Deep Dive, obviously with myself, and uh, you know we'll have to go and grab Andrew and Patrick for another time. We really wanted to get you on the show and uh, get you talking a little bit about theme we're seeing in the market that's really exciting, and that's kind of how we're seeing mergers and acquisition playing, increasing this role in shaping the hydrogen industry beyond just building the business from scratch or beyond just looking at the listed side. And in the last two years, we've seen a huge amount of transactions in the space. I mean, you know, some of the more notable ones being uh, Air Liquide and Hydrogenics, uh, Man Group and HTech, and obviously now your latest deal, of course, which was uh, something we're hoping you can talk to us a little bit about today, the Biotech acquisition of IGX. Before we start that, maybe you can both kind of just give us a little introduction for our listeners. Obviously, Mo, you've already been on the show, so I'm sure our Eagle Eye listeners will already know a little bit. But for the new listeners, if you can give a little introduction to yourself. Yeah, hi. And Chris, thanks for having us on the show. Uh, I'm Mo Vargas. I'm the Chief Executive Officer for uh, Biotech. You know, Biotech, we're a uh, company that's focused on uh, really making hydrogen easy and just getting hydrogen in the hands of everyone. So, but I think probably a lot more interesting would be an uh, introduction on, on Michael and, and his background. It's almost like you're trying to take my lines away from me, Mo. And uh, yeah, so Michael, <laughs> delighted to have yes, you yeah, on the show as our newest guest on the show. So uh, Mo's teed you up, so why don't you introduce yourself? Well, great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, I'm Michael Kronz. I'm the, now the new president of Biotech. I was a founder of IGX Group. Uh, over the years, we've built two sides of our business. We have our high-pressure hydrogen distribution business, and then we've also become a leader in the manufacturing of the high-pressure gas transport equipment and storage for hydrogen. And so though we've built that business over the probably the last uh, five, six, seven years, uh, strong emphasis on hydrogen. And uh, yeah, we see that as the, the major part of our business going forward. So obviously, the reason why we on the EAH side were interested in doing this episode is because we are seeing this vertical integration across the supply chain. And this deal, in some ways, is a great sort of example of that, right? I mean, you know, and there are others, you know, other one would be probably the plug power Gina acquisition is another one I can think of that's that vertical integration. So why did you guys decide to do this particular deal? What was the sort of logic behind it? Um, Mo, maybe if we start with you, what was the kind of biotech incentive for working with IGX? And then Michael, some people would say the hydrogen sector is booming. Why on earth would you let anyone acquire? You should be spacking and off and away. So, so uh, how did Mo win you over? How did he convince you that this is how you guys wanted to grow? So maybe start with Mo. Yeah, sure. Uh, as you know, our, our primary focus initially was on on-site generation. You know, we think there's a tremendous opportunity of leveraging the $1.5 trillion existing infrastructure of natural gas and the biogas and, um, you know, all, all the gas that's being flared today and turning that into hydrogen. 
um, as we went out and and as we continue building up market and getting customers who are interested in, in taking on on-site generators, we also realized that there's uh, two other sets of customers. You know, one nascent customers that are still early, too early on, and aren't quite ready to do on-site generation themselves. Um, and then there are other customers that, for one reason or another, don't really want to be in the on-site generation business. They just want to have access to locally produced hydrogen. So as we started looking at that, it was just a, you know, just very natural for us to think about, you know, um, you know, what's, let's go ahead and start building our own hydrogen hub model. And as we started doing that, we had been talking with Michael for about a year and finding different ways of us potentially selling generators to him and, and had products to us. And one thing that's another, he said, Hey, this, this may make a lot of sense to talk further than just a, you know, a vendor uh, supplier relationship. And um, here we are. Yeah, no, to add to that, uh, Mo, we've always taken the position that you've got all these all this activity out there and new technologies for the production of hydrogen molecules, whether it be reformers or electrolyzers, all that activity, a lot of money going into that. And then you've also got all this money going into a lot of the fuel cell appliances. And I use that word appliances to kind of be a, jot, a broad word to include, you know, trucks, buses, cars, planes, forklifts, the whole whole gamut. Typically, there's a fuel cell there. But the one thing nobody ever talks about, which where we've really made our niche, is how do you get those molecules from production to the, the appliance? And that's kind of what we've always felt is the under the unstated real component out there. And so that's what we've done. Working with, the, you know, again, our, our model was eventually to, to have some production because the country lacks high pressure hydrogen. And I really do distinguish that we're in the high pressure hydrogen business. We're not an industrial hydrogen type supplier, which is a low pressure type of application. But uh, being able to have those molecules available to us and then being able to distribute that to customers to help kind of support the adoption of these uh, appliances out there across the country is what we're looking for. So Bayatech was a natural merger because they've got a way of producing molecules. We've got a way of getting those molecules to market. And we've also got the components to make that last little bit of interface from the high pressure trailers to the appliance. So that's a nice, easy transition for customers because most customers don't want to be bothered with, you know, too much of the details. Just plug it in and fill it. That's what they want. So, I mean, obviously you're describing the, the sort of market driver, and I think we want to come on to that as to the next question, but maybe just before I let you guys off the hook on this bit, I mean, why, why acquisition as opposed to partnership, right? Um, because if, if there's almost a buzz phrase in the hydrogen world, partnership is the buzzword, right? Partnership, partnership, partnership. So maybe talk a little bit about why this particular structure you thought was important, why you thought that was relevant for the market. Maybe you can explain a little bit about about that. Well, I can say my, my motivation was, this one, I, I really was impressed with the Bayatech team. I think that was probably a good bit of it. I think I, and I liked very much where they were going. Uh, they've, got a, they've got a vision of taking, expanding their company. They had, they had capital. They had a vision of eventually going, you know, doing the SPAC thing possibly. Um, and certainly I think that allowed, took my game and what we were doing to a whole different level. And I felt that uh, doing it together was going to be a lot more effective than trying to do it on my own. So that, that was my motivation. But, but Mo, you probably have yours. So This is why Michael, Michael and I, uh, you know, ham and egg it so well. Uh, you know, we're completely aligned on that. Uh, for us, it was... You know, Michael has done an incredible job as an entrepreneur building a business. He's uh, very well known in the industry. He has built a great business and a great customer base. You know, he's done it all on his own. We felt that it was really important for us to have someone on our team. And that's why we brought him in in such an important role as the president of the company overall, was we needed, we wanted someone who was very transaction oriented, right? Because as you know, sometimes when you have the big vision, you can get, you know, you can get carried away on the big vision and you're not thinking about the immediate transactions 
that you need to be, you know, having and, and occurring today. And he's built up such an incredible customer base. And, you know, we can't get into all the names right now, but um, just, you know, anyone who's doing anything in hydrogen today is transacting today with Michael. And then you combine that with his vision of being able to bring the technologies to customers, things that they need to be able to enable the hydrogen economy for them. It really, it really becomes a tip of the spear for what we're doing. And it became obvious, right? The more we talked, the more we, you know, we sat down, whether it was, you know, in formal meetings or you know, whether we were breaking bread and talking through things, it became very obvious that, you know, it's it's amazing what we're gonna be able to do together. And now that we've tra- closed the transaction a little over three weeks now, it just gets better and better. And then I think finally, you know, we're in a unique position that with uh, with us going, you know, with our plans of going public here later in the year, it just gives us a unique structure that we could we could provide to make it interesting for both of us, right? So that combination of things with timing in the market, you know, kind of where he was at in terms of, of revenues and bringing us revenues, immediate revenues to the company was just a nice combination. And just makes the, it's, it's truly one of those where the two companies are, are synergistic and, uh, and and we see it, right? You know, now that when we're talking to investors um, and the people see, oh, you guys are really built, are building the ecosystem. And we can even see it now today from other technology companies wanting to come to us and offering saying, hey, we, we're seeing what you're doing. We understand what you're doing. How can we work with you, right? And, and I think that kind of almost nicely leads on to where I wanted to go next, which is really, you know, what is it that we should be interpreting from the fact that we do see this vertical integration in the market? You know, you're talking about the sort of story that obviously you're selling to investors and discuss with investors sort of in advance of that um, listing event later in the year. And you're also talking about the fact that other parts of the hardware supply chain are coming to you now and saying, how can we get involved? I mean, what is driving that? Is that is that has there been a challenge, you think, in the hydrogen market that's prompted that? Has there been sort of something wrong with the current model? Maybe, Michael, as president now, you can explain how you see the, the tie up making sense of that. So I see the world that it, this is this business and this whole hydrogen industry. It's a three legged stool. It doesn't survive without all three legs on the ground. And the three legs are going to be hydrogen production, the distribution of those of those hydrogen molecules, and the appliances themselves that are going to consume that. And what I've seen out there as this market has developed in the early days, it's a very it's been very myopic. You get some very talented people out there coming out with some great technologies to make hydrogen, whether it be different electrolyzer methods or reformer methods. Got great people making hydrogen powered trucks and stuff. But they've all kind of miss the distribution side. We have a large industrial gas industry out there right now. Their focus has been historically low pressure hydrogen. They really haven't really understood the high pressure stuff. And I give Plug Power a lot of credit for really kind of catching on to that. They supply their customer with not only a hydrogen powered forklift appliance, and granted they're expanding that, but they also were, they knew they had to be able to get hydrogen to their customers. So they forced them into being that hydrogen, putting on-site hydrogen, understanding the high pressure distribution supply that customer, that component. So I really do see the consolidation now starting to take a little more shape because people are seeing that, yeah, we've been very myopic about our approach to this. And we, if we are to be successful, it's going to have to be required an integrated model. You can't just build a great new hydrogen powered truck and have a customer expect to buy it if you can't get fuel for it. So it, it, I think you're seeing more of a broader look at that you know, requirement that that has to be in place if, it's going to, if any of this is going to be successful. 
Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, you know, if you think about the, you know, so the plug example is an interesting one, right? You had a specific product and then they go, well, we maybe need to then do supply of hydrogen. So then they move into logistics and then they go, well, we also want to do production. So then they've kind of vertically integrated across the space, right? Um, and you could probably see other examples. So uh, Rise in the UK acquiring Rightbus, for example, saying, well, we need something to use our hydrogen. So we're going to buy a bus company and do it that way. It'd be interesting to understand in your head, does that mean that appliances is the next logical piece to add into the integration? You know, if is it kind of a, you know, almost Nikola had the appliance and they were trying to do the supply and they're trying to do the logistics and trying to do the whole way down. And people said that probably was part of the problem. They were trying to do too many things at once. But if we cast out of the hydrogen sector and we go to Tesla, exactly what Tesla does. Tesla does the solar, it does the batteries, it does the charging and it does the vehicles. Um, and some would say that works, some wouldn't. It'd be good to kind of prompt your you know, thoughts around that. Does hydrogen need to be connected to all three things? And should we be expecting biotech to have, as it were, the fuel cell widget at the end at some point down the line so that it is the full value product? Or do you think specifically the production and distribution is the most important piece to integrate? And then how you use it doesn't have to be integrated in, but those first two pieces are essential. Yeah, so, so I think that this is actually kind of an evolution and we're seeing these different stages and, and started off with, as we talked about earlier, you've got these very monolithic kind of developments, appliance manufacturers, you've got production, different production manufacturing. Uh, we're in the distribution side, the equipment side. And then you're seeing this consolidation. And I think as the market grows, that actually will start to be divested and you will find companies that will do just nothing but hydrogen. They'll do it very well. They'll do it on scale. And I do think on a more distributed model, you'll find companies that are going to do nothing but build trucks and buses because of the 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 uh, diversity. You can't like Ford. Ford doesn't control the gas stations because they've got all these competitors out there. They just want to be a good car manufacturer, for instance. Uh, so I do think it's kind of we're in that we're going to be entering into that integration phase, and then we'll enter later on down the road. We'll see this divestiture phase as the as the industry grows and becomes big enough to support each each part of the leg of the stool essentially by itself. But I don't know, Mo may have a little different spin on that, but that's kind of how I saw the world, see, see it coming forward. Yeah, well, the, the the thing that Michael failed to mention in all of that is that he we already have appliances, right? So we have hydrogen generators today. We have hydrogen light towers already that we're, we're producing today. Uh, we have refuelers for drones that we provide to customers. And when you think about that, you know, we're taking drones from electric drones at 25 minutes to now hydrogen drones that can go for two and a half hours. Right? And you can imagine all the applications that, that can come along with that and how they can serve. You know, we've got dispensing, both wet host dispensing and dispensing all the way for, you know, vehicles that people don't have to have hazmat licenses that you can put in the back of a pickup truck. So we've got a lot of those and uh, focus appliances. And, and that some of those things tell you a lot of the reasons why we were so interested in Michael and IGX, right? Because of, uh, but, but I do agree with them that long term, we don't see ourselves as necessarily the ones who will be building in a massive amount those appliances, but we want to demonstrate them, build them. And because we have the, the R&D and the, and the manufacturing capability of doing it, we'll build some of them, build up the product lines, and then we'll partner with kind of natural builders of those type of uh, products, right? And, and help demonstrate to them like, hey, listen, this is how we can get into, how, this is how you can get into the hydrogen economy now, right? We're demonstrating it for you. And with that, you know, it becomes a lot easier. And with our, obviously with our model, then that, that substantiates what we're doing, which is we're, we're providing the hydrogen. Right. And so that builds into our base of providing hydrogen for different types of applications. And then they can take it and really take off. And what we tell them is like, this is your opportunity. You never had to Michael's example, Ford, you never really had the opportunity to get into the gasoline business. But 
Mr. Manufacturer, you're going to have the opportunity to get into the hydrogen business if you do it with us, right? No, and I, and I see that. So I guess then the, the question is sort of prompting me to think about is how, I guess, the structuring of the market in, in this regard. I mean, do you think that this is a permanent feature of the market? And I, I guess we, I need to caveat that because the market can mean many things. So, you know, to Michael's point, the high pressure market. So we take the high pressure North American market. Do we see this as a permanent feature that there's going to be the need to have companies that are integrated and provide both of those services? But maybe in other markets it's different. Or do we actually think across the hydrogen space you're going to see integration of those two components? Uh, it'd be interesting just to push because I think in my head when I start to think about cryogenic, for example, or I start to think about pipelines, obviously the scale gets significantly larger and the capex gets larger and you start to think well that maybe is more of a partnership model so it'd be interesting to get your view on is this actually the reason why you know the igx and beta deal is quite unique because you're in a space in that segment where this is actually the future and you've got a first mover advantage in integrating that way or is that where the whole industry is going to go and everyone's going to be chasing you regardless of whether it's pressurized low pressure or whatever maybe mo will pick your brains first is this a permanent thing or is this a unique to the, the specific segment that you're working with IGX right now? Yeah, I, 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 I think we've got a competitive advantage right now, and I think we definitely have a first mover advantage. Uh, I never like to think of any business model being so unique that no one else can come in and behind you. So I think and it, 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 it keeps your mind sharp and it keeps the team sharp to continue you know, reinventing yourself and making yourself competitive. As we all know, there is no silver bullet in, in the energy transition, and there's certainly no silver bullet in hydrogen. Right. And it depends a lot on the applications and locations. Right. And so um, because of that, we, what we do want to do, though, and, and this is something that you know, uh, IGX has done a great job, is we want to serve our customers really, really well. To be able to do that, we need to be able to be diverse in our solution set because if we're diverse in our solution set, we can follow them. And then as also the rules and regulations change, we can continue to evolve with them. Right. And, and our two big things always for the company at the end of the day, our two guiding principles are one is continue to drive down low cost hydrogen at the point of consumption and continue to drive down low carbon intensity of that hydrogen. You know, we, we believe that if we do those two things, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that, uh, you know, Adam and Mo said is, you know, I, I think we, Bayatech, IGX's combination, what we're doing is we really are changing. We're introducing a whole new paradigm for hydrogen. When you think about it today, hydrogen, the bulk of hydrogen is made at, at these large hundreds of tons a day kind of facilities and they're around the coast. It's not, not very readily distributed. But we've seen instances where uh, or a hurricane comes through Texas, the Gulf or a, Texas gets a cold snap. It affects hydrogen supplies a thousand, 2000 miles away. And what we're doing that's so different, and I think this is where we really shine, is we're introducing this distributed model to hydrogen production. We're going to be able to provide these various nodes around the country that are producing a hydrogen that are totally independent of a storm or a weather of one particular one location's uh, you know circumstances and obviously in this day and age weather is changing and we are seeing greater weather incidents but we also are going to be able to have with that distributed model we've also have the ability to back up other nodes that may go down for whatever reason and that that truly is a game-changing concept that has never been out there for a lot of the industrial gas sites so we do talk about liquid. Well, liquid's very dependent upon those hundred metric, you know, hundred ton a day plants. Because that's where you can justify at scale to liquefy. We're definitely that higher pressure because we're going to service areas within a regional area around our hubs. So yes, yeah, so I, I think we're. You know, so to your question, is integration what we're doing today going to be long lasting? Absolutely, it's going to continue to grow. I think this is going to be the trend in hydrogen for uh, supporting the appliances for a long time to come. 
And, and I like that area sort of focusing on distributed. So maybe we can pick up on that one a little bit more because I think this is something that is um, is kind of a, a, a sort of phony war in the hydrogen world, right? Which is sort of scale versus distributed, right? Because everyone says we have to get scale, we have to get scale. And what they mean is completely different, right? So one people say scale is a lot of units. If I order a lot of units, and I build a lot of units, I get my price down. Others say scale is in I just need one or two really large projects because that's how I get my cost down. And, you know, there's obviously various different interests that drive that. I'd like to sort of pick into your brains a little bit more around what it is about the distributed model and the way that then Beotech works with IGX in this deal that's interesting and to see whether maybe that's a model that actually others will start to replicate. So should we be seeing other companies like Beotech or comparables trying to find their equivalents of IGX in Europe or in Asia and integrating through? You know, maybe trying to make this as concise, but also, you know, giving you a little bit of chance to get some depth behind it. Can you give us one or two main reasons in your view for why the distributed model is unique? You know, how does it address some of the questions around cost, which is usually the charge leveled against distributed? And I guess also sort of that reliability and safety piece, because, again, there's a charge that if it's a big centralized plant, you have all these standards, you have a very advanced team. If it's small, maybe you don't. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'd just be good to kind of get your thoughts and push on it. So, you know, Michael, you started on this one, so I'm going to give Mo the first shot. Yeah, listen, I think I think it starts off with what your second point, which is you know reliability, security around source. Uh, that, that that's become really important. Um, and you know, I happened to listen to uh, your guys' podcast this morning, the last one uh, for, for for the season, and you guys had a really good, interesting point around um, you know whether as a society we should be so focused on the cost of hydrogen. And I think that's a really good question that people should be asking themselves because, uh, you know, we will obviously are not going to get into the details of our pricing strategy, but I think you guys are onto something that, that is true, right? You know, I think people are way too obsessed in, uh, tw- in the Twitterverse and in conferences talking about the price of generation of hydrogen when, you know, what we would argue would be that people just want to get access to good service and get access to hydrogen at, at high pressure. And if they can get that and they can rely and they can get it within a time frame, Michael has demonstrated very well that people are willing to pay. So um, I, I think that that's 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 really the, the the key to the model is is making sure that you, you have it there. And I think in terms of, of our model, because of us having all these different hubs, we're not we're not just you know we, we have the biogas side of the business you know where we're selling the molecules. We're willing to do it in shorter term timeframes. Um, we're also willing to even sell um, people who need a reliability. Uh, we're willing to provide when people have ma- have maintenance on their if they have an on site unit with us. So it's it's a, not just us selling metal. You know, so I think it's a little bit different than, you know, a lot of times people think of, oh, if you're a technology company, then, oh, okay, give me a couple million dollars. Here's a reformer. Okay, okay let's move on. You know, we're going to provide you a lot more than that. You know, we're going to be able to make sure that we really want to ensure that the customer has hydrogen available. And we're really trying to think through what are the requirements that they have to keep their process going, right? Because that's a key thing in terms of if you want someone to stop using gasoline, you're saying, yeah, I want you to use Mr. Transit Agency or Transit Authority, your bus with hydrogen, you know, that hydrogen's got to be there, right? Because the people are trying to want to ride the bus, right? And if it's not there, that's a problem. So, you know, we got to fill that gap. Yeah, you know, and the other thing, I, I think that you we talk about the distributed model, distributed model versus, say, this bulk hub and spoke kind of model that currently exists out there. The great equalizer is transportation, logistics costs. And so if I'm sitting in in, in the Houston, Texan area, Texas area, and I need hydrogen, well, there's tons being made right around me. We probably are going to be tough to compete when there's a plant that big. But now we go to other parts of the country and it has to be trucked. It has to be brought in. Logistics are becoming more and more expensive. And that's where this distributed model really becomes the equalizer. If we were distributing 50 to within a 50 to say 100 mile radius, 
versus thousands of miles of having to bring hydrogen. Um, yes, we can be competitive with uh, the, the bigger, higher scale plants because of that. Um, but and people kind of forget that component of it. And especially when we talk about high pressure hydrogen, you know, the or even liquid hydrogen, which is required to move at any great distances, the cryogenic it cost it takes energy to, to liquefy. It's not it's not a very efficient. The trailers are very expensive. The offloading equipment is very expensive. You know, and if you're not using it, you lose it. It vaporizes right off. Great thing with compressed with what we're doing uh, is we can produce it locally. We can compress inexpensively. Our distribution costs are lighter. So that's where I think, you know, we're really going to be able to compete. We're going to be able to be, uh, that's why this distributed model makes a lot of sense. And then the other side of it from a reliability perspective, big plants being more reliable, I, I'd refuse that. I think uh, a lot of what we're doing with Bayatech and the team we have here, they've come from making big plants before and they're bringing that, uh, that mindset and that's, that's those skills. We'll be able to scale that down to with that same mentality. We want reliability, the redundancies in place, so that uh, we can take and provide a customer greater reliability when we do produce in these uh, distributed hubs. I, I kind of definitely agree with all of that. I mean, you know, it always used to make me laugh when people would say centralized gray is um, hydrogen from a big SMR site was cheaper. I mean, you only had to look at the um, the was it NREL's uh, Hydra database and they used to show you, you know, you could see the price in one part of the States would be, I don't know, $6 a kilo and the next would be 40. And you're like, okay, how does that work? That's definitely not cheaper. So that, no one ever quite bought that. Well, look, guys, I mean, obviously fantastic to go through all of this with you. And, uh, you know, I think it is a super exciting and interesting space to understand and to think about sort of the role of M&A in the space. I think especially now companies are getting to the size where M&A is actually relevant and interesting. Um, maybe I just sort of wrap up this episode with your kind of final thoughts and reflections and maybe a little bit of crystal ball gazing. Where do you see uh, sort of the next big trend in the sort of M&A market? And you can obviously talk about, well, you've already talked a little bit about it yourselves, but you know, maybe more broadly about the market, just as we finish up, where do you think it will be going, and uh, and maybe where should it be going? It would be interesting to get your views. Um, and again, I'm going to put Mike on the spot first, and then I'm going to finish with Mo. Yeah, I, so I see that the future is a lot of these appliances that have been under development for a long time. We've heard a lot about whether it be Class A trucks, delivery trucks. A lot of these things, they, they've got a lot of fanfare, but we haven't actually seen commercial units out on the road with any volume. So I do believe they will work the bugs out. I do believe they will begin hitting the roads as, as popular as a Mirai. In fact, more popular than, say, a Toyota Mirai or out there. And I think that, to me, is going to be the real great opportunity for us going forward as those start to roll out. They're not, they're not taking four or five kilograms every week or once, or once a week or once every two weeks. No, they're taking 10, 30, 40, 50 kilograms every day. That really becomes the real great multiplier and the opportunities for us. Uh, but that's that's going to be within the next five years. That, that's going to be huge. It's going to be buckle up, get ready. We're going for a big ride here, guys. And Mo, what do you think? Where, where do you where do you kind of see that people are going to be focusing on? I agree with Michael. I think the, the incumbents are going to wake up, especially as as we continue to roll out more hydrogen as an industry and have hydrogen be more available. Because that, at the end of the day, is still even even in transportation today. As much as as much progress as we've made, you know, we still have a very very long way to go. And, and making that uh, hydrogen available everywhere is going to be critical. Uh, and the more and more we can make that available, I think you're going to see the, the incumbents wake up um, and all these different industries and say, OK, now I can drop a fuel cell and replace, you know, my engine, you know, my ICE. And I think you're going to see a lot of different applications, you know, whether it's in aviation, you're already seeing it in trains. Um, you know, obviously, we're already seeing it in, in trucks. You're, I don't I don't think I don't, I don't I don't know about cars. I still think of uh, electric to cars, what diesel is to, you know, 
to hydrogen. And I still think that analogy still still applies. But I still think on the heavy duty, you know, so should the F-150 really be electric or should the F-150 be hydrogen, right? You know, I think those sort of things, you know, are going to be there. And then, and then I think on the energy side, on the infrastructure side, for sure, you're going to have someone starting to lay some pipelines. I think you'll see some major pipelines. I think it'll be very difficult to do a large distribution. Be interesting to see what the natural gas utilities are going to end up, what role are they going to end up playing? You know, because as, as always, utilities have the regulators and they move so slow. You know, how much of this is going to get ahead of them um, and how much are they going to be able to participate in this? Um, and, and they have that internal battle with, with, you know, with being natural gas companies and at the same time wanting to be green and, and trying to balance that. So it's, it's going to be an exciting time. And then you add and then you add in ammonia and other ways of caring and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. It's uh, all the other light topics that we love talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look. Real pleasure, Mo and Michael, to have you on the show. Really interesting insights. I hope our audience agrees and uh, looking forward to having you guys on the next one. Thank you both. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris, for the opportunity. So that's it for our second episode of Deep Dive. A huge thank you again to the whole team at Bayer Tech for their time and work on this episode and a big thanks as well to Mo and Michael for their time. Here at Everything About Hydrogen, myself, Andrew, Patrick, and all the wonderful team that help support us are gearing up for season three of Everything About Hydrogen, which will all be with you very soon. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to on this podcast, Apple, Spotify, or whatever, so you can be the first to know when our new episode of season three hits. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review, that would be pretty great too. I hope you've all had a wonderful summer. We're looking forward to having you back on season three. Thanks for listening.